Okay, it's going. Okay. So for the, the sake of the podcast, I just want to reiterate that um, this is the part three of our Land Summit series um, with the aim of uh, solidifying the work that we've been doing here for the past um, couple of meetings um, and to bring forth a working document to be presented to people working on the strategic plan, but also to anybody within the community that's interested in what we all were saying uh, with, in regards to the future of the land. So this, my hope is that it'll be set up as a, a Google Doc that people could edit as they see fit and have time to think about, and um, everybody would have a choice. Uh, everybody would have an opportunity to um, edit it and agree on what we want to bring forth. So, um, but I did want to open it up. To Mason gave me um, some ideas and uh, proposals that he was working on, and I don't. Did you send? Do you want to start with that, or? Yeah, I'd I'd like to start with that. All right. Yeah. The um, we've delayed a couple of times uh, the strategic planning with the core group, and I had uh, prepared the elevator speech for that. And uh, I think it would fit here, too. Um, if you'd like to take a copy, you may. Natmeal Nursery grew out of Sultane's 2012 strategic plan. And though many things have changed since then, many things remain true. Then we identified four goals. Grow in smart and sustainable ways. Expand impact beyond Sultane's campus. Upgrade physical plant to meet current needs. And fourthly, increase and diversify income streams. In light of these goals, the idea of a nursery that not only offers products and services, but also creates inclusive leadership roles, ideally employment and volunteer opportunities, started to take shape. My vision is that Nat Mill Nursery will pioneer a new social enterprise model useful for creating meaningful horticultural career pathways for people with developmental differences in urban integrated settings. In the spirit of our land summit conversations around immediate land-based activities, I see no problem in integrating Kathleen and Alyssa's program ideas and sharing Christina's house to achieve that. Due to delays in the strategic planning conversations, I haven't been able to share these ideas with the core group and association. My hope is that the entire community will recognize the value of continuing to develop Nat Mill Nursery as a social enterprise so that it may continue to offer these capacities in the near and long term. Come what may. A container program that can put healthy pop-up container gardens here on campus in Phoenixville, and I just heard of a small grant possibility from DSM that could possibly sponsor a little garden over at Beaver Run. The photos on the back show some of the patio gardens that we've done in the past and some of the skill activities that uh, the Mill Nursery is set up for. Can also offer education in various forms that support healthy cooking, eating, and much more. Community composting that provides a valuable environmental recycling service. Nursery skills shared with day or residential participants that are accessible and year-round, leading to mastery and confidence in a less physical demanding environment than field work. 
and when you add flower arranging, hanging basket setups, and various plant crafting activities, then these skills are easily transferred to any location, such as 101 Bridge Street, as a community garden shop for individuals or social enterprises. Such a social enterprise may well become one of Soltane's signature contributions to the Camp Hill movement, serving both our on-campus, local, and in-town community, while advancing our strategic goals of creating a more inclusive, caring, and proactive community. So I wanted to offer those thoughts and images for your meditation and consideration. Would anybody like hot water for tea? Thanks. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> with that being said, with what Mason just shared with us, um, I'm wondering how we can start to plug this into, uh, given the past two meetings that we had, I tried to boil it down into something um, that we can all visually look at and see um, some highlights. And as I was going through it, I, I kind of identified some topics that were seemed to be uh, brought up frequently. Um, one being small scale growing um, in terms of either food or dyes um, and some subcategories, you know, Something that stood out to me, Rick, was when you were like, you know, it doesn't have to be this massive industrial scale, um, uh, you know, project that we have going on. So kind of a little goes a long way if we just start taking small steps here and there. Um, there's talk of uh, more outreach, growing food for somewhere like PAX. Um, how could we start to supply the cafe slash soul kitchens that um, support Kathleen and her Bifrost Botanicals endeavor and twine dyes? These are all kind of very achievable uh, things that we could be doing as soon as tomorrow. We could start planning, you know, thinking, looking at seed catalogs for these things. Identifying of current assets, um, a, a big obvious one being the greenhouse and this can tie directly into Mason's, uh, you know, outline that he just shared with us now, the composter, um, all of the land here. Is it 52 acres? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the barn I see as an asset, uh, the orchard, uh, the house gardens. We talked about how the house gardens will be managed, um, possible manpower coming from volunteers or a sub committee of either the housing or the estate committee, um, and then connection to the, the broader community through a retreat center, through community composting, through our enterprises that are already present within Phoenixville. But I kind of see all of these things as um, they all relate <coughs> to each other. So PAX relates to our greenhouse, we could be growing food there, it could relate to the enterprise because the greenhouse is an enterprise. So all of these things to me, were hard to kind of sort out under these categories because they were all uh, one and the same, which I think is, is a good thing. I think that um, they're all supporting, we have a, a supportive network here and how do we want to fill in that network? Um, and so I think that, you know, 
by Mason, you sharing this, this is how we start to fill in this network of support and start to move forward with, with our goals. Um, so given that framework of how we can start to fill in this, this network of support, does anybody have anything else they'd like that they were thinking about or um, anything they'd like to share to kind of uh, solidify what it is that they're thinking? I'm quite intrigued by the a little goes a long way and this outside Roland Johnson building there are two raised beds that um, were put in years ago by Anselm and and, um, and Adela and I thought maybe we can just just identify a few such places around the community and just it's not too hard to grow two race beds. It's right. maybe hard to take care of the amount that you have to take care of, Kathleen. So just a little, a long way, and what can we do now? That's one thing that mm -hmm. one could do. And my, my intention, and a little goes a long way, was thinking uh, even a little, a little spinach goes a little spinach to supply Barbie with. Um, I I resonate with a little goes a long way mm -hmm. in in a lot of different contexts. A little, you know, ten minutes here, fifteen minutes there, weeding the gardens goes goes a long way. And that's something that we can work towards as well. Maybe with entwined uh, dyes, we could also add. Uh, Oh yeah. Thank you. I wonder what our collective commitment to biodynamics is. What does what do we think it is? I recommend checking out the fifty-two page biodynamic standard that uh, Demeter has available online that helps inform that. Is it something that um, anybody has a strong feeling? Should we be, should we start to be adhering to biodynamic practices more? Is it, are we looking for something more diversified than that? A little bit of this, a little permaculture, a little biodynamics, or as a community, are we feeling like, hey, we really want to get back to our biodynamic roots? Will we ever buy biodynamics? Yeah, for a little while. Yeah, this, uh, this certified. Where did we get this stuff from? Like. Yeah, you get inspected and all of that through the. That's what, yeah. It's it's a conversation it, it, too you know too far for here, but I think you're right. What I've learned, know what's right, do what's possible. Um, yeah, I think the the biodynamic ideal is this farm organism, which is an ideal you strive towards. Um, but to obtain Demeter certification is a tall mountain to climb and given all that we have on our plate. But wouldn't we need to have cows? Uh, maybe I'm missing. That's why I say read the, you know, there's, there's exceptions for orchards or, you know, other things, or if you partner with another farm, the ideal is you would grow all the feed for your animals or source it from local biodynamic farms, for example. Um, it goes on and on. So it's complicated. Yeah. 
So is it safe to say that something we are not striving towards is being certified by a dynamic mm -hmm. fund right now? Certification, that's way over there, but right. you know, I don't know how many people know some, even what, what makes biodynamic be biodynamic to, to mm -hmm. the question is more, do we want to recreate with the knowledge content of that? Mm -hmm. um, you really need a person that knows what they're doing <laughs> yeah. with that, I think. Well, uh, not only you, I mean, I mean, probably Mason could be that person, but yeah. I think it's a question of do, is this like, you know, be like, I mean, it's not like exactly the same as asking a, um, like Beaver Run, do they want to be biodynamic when actually they're like a school? Yeah. Are, are we a farm? Because if we're a farm, then I think we should be biodynamic. But if we're not a farm, then that's not a real question, almost. That, that's the way I see it. But if we're hosting events here, would it be okay if we had a permaculture permaculture event? Or would it have to be a biodynamic? No. Oh, no. no. So we could... They're not like, mutually exclusive. But well, we could think of ourselves as a... As a what? As a... Us. Something, yeah. Uh, Saltang agro-horticulture. Some sort of source of these varying knowledges of knowledge, this varying amount of knowledge. I'm just thinking uh, as an umbrella term, even in ter even thinking of like cleaning products and you know what we put in the wastewater and all of these things. I think it's important to say that we are uh, not an organic. We're a healthy like, earth place. Uh, <laughs> earth, mi like minded, or like perhaps we could come up with a sort of like a motto, like "Hey, we really adhere to." Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't really have a word on top of my head. If it's not biodynamic, what is it? Just a conscious. We're we're a property. Of, I don't know. Maybe that's something to think about. Mm -hmm. Because that would then. Frame uh, if we if say for, we could pick any points on here, but say for example we have somebody uh, coming here for a retreat and we want to say hey leave your harsh cleaning products at home if you're thinking of bringing them <laughs> because we are a, um, we are this community. Uh, I mean, I'll just interject one thing. Uh, if you're looking at the grounds as a holistic opportunity for sort of like biodiversity and development in that way. I mean, you can consider yourself a permaculture demonstration site if the thing is designed with the permaculture ethic in mind, but also be applying the biodynamic principles to that by even just starting with using the calendar. You know, not, not burying cow horns and making all the preparations necessarily, but break into it by just simply using the calendar to sort of dictate your workflow you know, at the very base, you know, yeah, at that very first step, so to speak, you know. Because from my perspective, just like limited knowledge of biodynamics, limited knowledge of permaculture, but just like from like a food operation standpoint, like labels are great and like philosophies are great, but what's most important is in, in my perspective, like knowing who's doing the growing, knowing how they're doing it, and like if we can come up with some way to like, Fertilize that to like an outsider, that's great, but as long as we can all agree 
like within ourselves what we're doing is most of the food is going directly to people we're like we have a direct connection with and it's not like we're trying to sell it to them in Whole Foods and we're trying to get ourselves mm-hmm. labeled in one way or another. Yeah. I agree. I guess I'm just thinking in terms of if for the Soul Kitchen endeavor, it would be nice if you said, hey, by the way, this food was grown in yeah. this side of this type of this setting, in this, you know, chemical free setting or yeah. something. Not that we need to adhere to I the think, strict. you know, it's just, yeah, I think the question is, do we go, I mean, certification is, is, is not necessary, I think. The question is whether it's okay to use words like local and organic, even though maybe there's a bit of non-something in there, because something slips through and you're not, I mean, I think that, that what you just said is really what it boils down to, is that, like, it's a conversation topic, so if someone says, oh, it's just like organic, say, well, actually, if you want to learn more about how we work with like the earth, you know, we have a group that meets every other week or something and you can learn all about it rather than try and just kind of label it, even though labels can be useful to sort of explain people, yeah. you know. But I like the idea of Isn't there tea in there? Well, there's tea in the I got tea. That's right. Oh, you got tea? <laughs> Thank you. But not from entwine, but it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't know any rules around that. I just think that we're just doing it because I don't think anybody's going to pick on us about it. Yeah. But we can all agree on that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Kind of. Yeah. I think we can all agree that we do want to yeah. see in-house grown things being utilized externally so the logistics of it can be sorted out but maybe to start the the dreaming phase of saying hey we really want to have we really want to be growing food here and then how can we make that happen mm-hmm. but if we can 
if that's a, if that is a a, a want, um, I think that's the that's this is the appropriate setting to voice that want, mm -hmm. um, and then the how do we actually get that done comes mm -hmm. later. Yeah, I guess if we're thinking in like a timeline format, it's like let's start with the things that we know are like the least amount of planning or like logistical figuring out, and then like aspire to those things that like would take a little bit more. But like, how amazing would it be if the featured tea at Tilting Cafe was? Yeah. Be frost. Be frost. I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> Since the cafe is a licensed kitchen, um, I don't know, is there a difference with the spinach going like to packs versus the spinach going to a licensed kitchen where it's then made into something? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like the apples that you grow here on the land that, that you took to Bauman's, mm -hmm. a licensed place. So the raw ingredient was transformed into something. Isn't mm -hmm. it the same thing with the spinach? It is, and then the spinach would be fine, but the tea or like a like a value added product that is processed, I think, is different. And that's sort of what I'm wondering with like a galvanizing. It's like how could we, you know, because that's kind of great. Like a tea would be amazing because it's shelf stable, like it lasts for a certain amount of time. The herbs like are like a lower impact, potentially perennial crop. That's like, you know, doesn't take as much work. But I'm just thinking ahead, like, okay, how do we logistically make that happen? But someone tell me if I'm wrong. Is it different if it's like... Well, is it because the tea's not being processed in a certified... Yeah, is that why? yeah. Gotcha. But maybe you could come to the cafe and do it. Now that I think about it. <laughs> That's the licensed commercial kitchen. So there you go. And we just solved the problem. <laughs> so these um, kind of like, how does this... How will this work? I would imagine that um, the the appropriate parties, like if you're like, hey, how can we get your eggs in our cafe? It would be like you and I could sit down and really start to figure out what do I need to do to make sure my eggs get to Barbie. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I mean, that's something I one of my hopes and dreams is to beef up the egg production and supply mm -hmm. all of the eggs. So, um, to, you know, as, if this is like a, a planning stage, I would like to put that on the list. And then maybe you and I can meet later and work out yes. how, how I, what I need to do to have the eggs come to you. Mm -hmm. And likewise, like, you know, if the, if the re retreat center is needing flowers, how would the people growing the flowers be or whatever happens, um, the, the plant, the dreaming happens here and the logistical side will then follow. Um, right, I guess. So you just picked up on, on flowers. I'm just sitting here thinking, I really want somehow, not just in one designated space, but to have your plants, your dying plants, enhance everywhere something, you know, so that maybe many buildings are connected to what goes on in the textile and to ask the landfill nursery or land people or whoever that we have a seeding project where we see flowers for when it's time to put them out there. And I keep thinking a lot about the Iduna when you come from the parking lot toward Iduna and it's it's it really 
it could be much more exciting and interesting than it currently is, let's put it that way. And uh, to, to just really revive some of these landscaped areas in a way that is more fun. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what Busk. it is. Huh? Maybe bus grass to cut as well. That can be like repurposed into flower gardens and patches. And well, a little goes a long way. So we <laughs> have those things we already don't manage. Yeah. So I'm not going <laughs> to add anything with just right. now. Well, and I was thinking about the the cutting the grass thing and um, the goats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the goats. Put them on the assets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More goats. Yeah. And chickens. That's a thing that's happened since the last Land Summit meeting. Pete and Pippin are here. Oh, I haven't met them. Yeah. They're here and they're so wonderful. They're so sweet. I actually lost sleep about it the night before stressing, and then it's now funny what I was stressing about. They're just so docile and they're like the most perfect goats. Are they male or female? Yeah. Gelded. Maybe that's why they're Yeah. Um, and I, in Let that be a <laughs> I think Pete and Pippin um, tie into the retreat center mm -hmm. in that if people were to come here, I, you know, down the line, can envision they walk through these beautiful dye, like the dyes. Um, You'll see them growing, you'll see the goats in the corner, you'll see the chickens running around. Mm -hmm. So the orchard, uh, all of these things, um, I kind of see tying together, especially the retreat center in the, in the context of people coming to campus, what is their initial experience, what, are, what, did, what can they see little bits going on? Oh, this is used for the dyeing, this mm -hmm. is used for growing food, this is used, it's going to be a little like... Uh, a uh, buffet of a little snapshot of what's going on elsewhere. Hmm. Thinking about animals that are not farm animals, what you were talking about, Sabina, made me think I would really love to see like a dedicated pollinator garden, and, like a garden that, like, I mean, many of the things, but right. the apple trees, but <coughs> anything that's planted that's flowers will likely like bring, bring people in. Bring pollinators in and help bring people in. Bee sanctuary. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, where's the native plants, yeah. like yeah. native milkweed varieties, oh, put them on our to lay their eggs on, like things that are like specifically, because there's like an educational component to that too. Mm -hmm. We're talking about this little like smattering of things. Yeah, a smattering. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, and, the, and we do have a, a pollinator we do? garden. That's awesome. Um, which. Well, it's it's buried and hidden right now, but that's something that I think is a beautiful asset. It's for cut flowers, pollinator garden. Right. It's like runs the length of the orchard. Um, that also needs attention, and that could also maybe link into the house garden manpower mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something quite different. I don't know where. I don't know whether that's even feasible. But I've often thought about this statue outside Iduna, this white statue. If that could be somehow 
constructed that it actually has a water feature to it? Yeah, I included that picture on this because it was once a sensor, a wheelchair accessible sensory garden with a water feature based well, it on It just there. had a basin with water that well, it had this built-in thing around it that you could, yeah. that was uh, cantilevered yeah. planting beds. It's since fallen down, but yeah. well, was, that was the idea. I was more thinking of, you know, there are airports where you have the water walls that yeah. you walk by, just something that can just go up and down. I mean, not a flow form itself, but something that just creates the sound of flowing water. But, and it then would make sense why that thing is there is again. It hmm? Is it hollow? It was set up to be a funnel. There, what is now is just the water basin at the bottom, but, but it used to be that it had little beds around it, chair, yeah. wheelchair accessible, that had flowers in or whatever people planted in there. I've never seen a moving water feature. Was it? Tom showed me there's a whole pump system underneath. <coughs> there's a crawl space from the, uh, the laundry in Aduna basement. Mm -hmm. There's there's a whole accessible plumbing thing that went there. So I don't it, you know I don't know how retrievable yeah. that is, but somebody put a lot of work into building that. So we're gonna volunteer Nick to do that. <laughs> That's what he does at work all the time. Uh, who, do yeah. you does anybody know who the artist or when mm -hmm. it was? I wonder if we could have a revival of it in some or in like sure. honor the artist who or the architect or the someone has to talk to Kimmy with this if we do that. Mm. That could be a cool or thing. Or Clemens might know. They actually Clemens thing. Wasn't it Bingham? Was he into that back when? Ben? No. And oh no, 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 let's not go there. There was once a thought to create a mosaic where now just the white walls are. Um not colors, but more the sandstone, the natural stone things with swirly patterns and stuff there. A little bit like what you have in Antwerp, yeah. actually. Just we know that we can do that. For reviving the thing, anyway. But I think this whole conversation, the smattering of things, is very much in our times. And this morning I got this email from uh, Morris Arboretum's 30th Annual Landscape Design Symposium. And they call it Ecology-Based Landscape Design, What Comes Next? Our 30th anniversary program will illustrate how an expanded definition of ecological design, including contributions from garden history, agroecology, anthropology, social justice, art, and of course the ecological sciences can yield environmentally sound, and culturally connected landscapes. And that just came in my inbox this morning, and it's, it sounds exactly like the whole mosaic of pieces on campus that we're talking about. Let's lift this up, let's lift this up, and see what unites it, you know? And when we're talking about terms at first, it's dangerous to have kind of terms like, environmentally friendly or, or something which is kind of like it immediately erases itself the moment it says itself but it's something like an ecologically based landscape design and we're not the only ones that are looking for what what's the right way to express that it's so inclusive in so many different capacities it's not just a lawn that needs to be mown mm -hmm. or a pollinator garden that needs weeding or yeah mm -hmm. it's the whole mosaic the whole smattering. Mm, the smattering. In the 
the verbiage I was trying, I was grappling with, um, kind of in the connection realm of things, because I see this campus as, I know Adrian, you've said before, people have this like strange concept of what Sultane is. Like, is it a, it's this piece of land in Glenmore, or is it the cafe? And it's interesting to, if, for example, if they were drinking Sultane tea, and the conversation came up, oh, this is actually grown on our campus. It's this kind of like imaginary campus land and like what actually happens here. <laughs> um, it's a smattering of things. And how, and how do we translate that to people? How do we say, hey, not only do we grow tea here, but there's actually goats. And the purpose of the goats is to make fiber and the, the fiber actually is sewn up, sold up the street. So I, I guess I, I was kind of getting caught on the verbiage only because I see so much potential in the in this campus being such a great connection point that bridges all of the satellite things going on. This kind of is the mm. the mothership. <laughs> so um, that's why I was thinking about verbiage. I love that um, fountain thing. It's like I had never ever heard of that story before. So it kind of makes me think of that Moana movie, where like they sort of have to take the heart back and sort of put it back in place, and then it just kind of becomes beautiful again. Kind of thing. So that's sort of almost like if that thing starts to kind of flow again, then it's like the whole Sultane sort of thing starts to kind of be back to where it kind of was. But super fancy. I like this idea of like assets and like looking at all this in this conversation um, and really like I feel like there's like just the story behind that fountain is revitalizing and like something's pouring out of it as you were saying and it's like there's a lot it seems that like we're sitting on that could be lifted in that regard like and maybe uh, this could be like a trickling effect like the fountain but also like you know, the architect who built these buildings, like, what if there was, like, some way to, like, pay homage or <laughs> you know, that person, and... I think Thalia did that, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a whole dinner honoring Nancy Miller, who was the, the architect and builder of all these buildings, yeah. just uh, two months ago. Right, right. That's right. You should get our fingers on that video. Something like that, even, yeah, it could be a spark, yeah. And did they talk about the mosaics here, and the mosaics for his daughter's art installation gifts to oh, yeah. the buildings and the community? Mm -hmm. Things of that sort. Uh, I just keep learning more that is inspiring. Yeah, reconnecting with the history might present a clearer path moving forward. Yeah. I think that's an asset. Like the history itself is an asset. Mm -hmm. And the interest in the history is an asset. Yeah. Maybe while I think of it, the tunnel as you walk through. Mm. For some reason, bringing up the mosaics made me think wall paintings Spaces, brought me yeah. to the tunnel. Um, mm -hmm. Where I think the rainbow colors are kind of get, I don't know what the green stuff is, but it could do with a little revival. <laughs> Re renewal. 
Well, Patrick, when you said that, I'm looking at that mosaic out there, and I had put up a, a, a bulletin board trying to describe the pollinator garden, why it was there, and the renewal of the orchard, and it makes me think, uh, just like there was once that kind of parkour thing where there were these stations throughout the campus and walking, and while I'm on that, I just want to throw out, it'd be fun to have a frisbee golf or even... Uh, something like that, that it creates an interactive, playful landscape. But when you mentioned the tunnel, I mean, that could be a mural that tells the story. Mm -hmm. There's something how story, stories in the landscape, to actually put them there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to have that little Aduna myth in Aduna about the fruit orchard. Mm -hmm. And I think it really nourishes the soul and honors all these activities, like the fountain, or the mosaics, or the buildings. I, I, I think it's worth signage in the sense that you always have someone new who comes and says, oh, what's that, mm -hmm. you know, and it sparks, it creates kindling for conversation. So you're suggesting physical plaques of sorts? Well, I found it a powerful thing, you know. Monuments, <laughs> monuments. But, all over park services, everything. People who travel and they that's true. Yeah, historic so signs that have yeah. Again, I don't want to expend a bit of expense, but Patrick's touching on there's so much artistic history in the landscape that we're not utilizing, and that seems to be the purpose of the summit. How we do it might be more in a, in the bi-weekly estate meetings or whatever where we figure out. Yeah. What do we do first? How do we create a plan? What, what does it take? I mean, personally, when I started, first started working here on campus, the Memorial Garden kind of always in, intrigued me for some reason. And even taking one step into it, I realized that the passing of Crystal was only a, a week after when I first started looking at the, the garden. And so knowing more about that space, I, the more we know, the, the better we can care for the land. So I like the idea of uh, dispersing history and stories and why this fountain is there and why these mosaics are here because so many people are new and don't know these things and may overlook them or take them for granted and uh, we can care for this space better if we know it more intimately. So I really like those, I think that's a cool, cool idea. Um, so St. Martin's there, I think it was Beaver Run, that on St. Martin's you do your lantern walk with the kids. In some community somewhere there was, from house to house, the story of St. Martin's was told through a transparency that people had made in one of their building windows, so pretty big. Mm -hmm. So you walked from place to place and had a visual um, of a story that hung together. And just sitting here wondering, mm -hmm. over time, if we commissioned artists to paint the story of Iduna, I mean, the reading is a bit laborious um, of, of that thing, or Parador, or to just create one image per building that 
tells a story um, and have it somewhere visible or, you know, I don't know, mm -hmm. or create a wood sculpture of a being, you know. I think churches have stained glass telling stories, different scenes, mm -hmm. even, you know. Stained glass might be a way to do And you can take little steps one after the sure. other, you know. To we just watched a video on ancient India, and they were saying, you know, some of these, like, you know, go-to places were built, you know, hundreds of years at a time. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I will say that at, at the beginning of this, my impulse for having something like this arose from co-chairing the estate committee and feeling a little bit daunted by the, the scope of what's going on here and the dreams and the ideas and the history. Um, and I, I feel grateful that everybody in this room, I, I feel that I am able to do a better job in what I believe the role of the chair of the estate committee is. is. Um, so thank you, because I, I feel that uh, there's just an, an immense amount of uh, love and dedication and dreams, and I feel really happy that, and now I have a better understanding of where everybody's coming from um, and their experiences here. So, um, and I, I do really look forward to seeing all of these things happen. And I think all of these things are very achievable. And I feel grateful that we kind of established from the get-go, like, you know, hey, what do we have and what can we do with it now, rather than um, <coughs> the daunting ta task of creating something, reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel very encouraged by all. I mean, I'm looking at this right now, and there's not really anything on here that I am like, oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Everything seems attainable to me, and that's really encouraging. Especially, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but the whole Pete and Pippin thing, the, how quickly that happened and how seamlessly, and um, I feel like it, it re-invoked my love of the barn. I've been spending a lot more time in the barn and uh, envisioning what that space could be and how this being, you know, having these two new goats here, how it has enriched my idea of how I can connect with Entwine and how my Parsival group connects with Entwine. That's been really cool and unexpected. And I'd imagine that these little threads will just continue to happen. I just have one more comment to make. Please. Um, I'm thinking about thinking about the word intention um, and even connected with the smattering a little goes a long way that having an intention for each of the little things that we do and it, when I when I get a, a, a new herb garden crew um, all, all the crews I've worked with um, I teach them about how this land um, 
used to belong to the Lenape. Um, and so I, I teach the word for thank you in, in Lenny Lenape, which is wanishi. So every time we mm. grow something, we harvest <coughs> something, we say wanishi to the plant, and we say wanishi to the, to the land. Um, so I just wanted to offer that. Just, mm opportunity to say to say one nishi to everything we have here. Just, mm. just, yeah. I'm gonna say something but I don't want it to be the last thing that's said because it's not a good thing. Um, but we haven't talked about the lantern fly situation. Um, I mean that should at least be on here as remediation or something. Mm -hmm. And then um, meadows Our, the asset of the 52 acres could be managed cooperatively with other farmers that could use the space or other uh, animals that could use this grass. Or, or that we could use it for yeah. our purposes as well. We could rerun it to Russ. If our neighbor Russ who grows hay and straw you know, managed it, since he's right there. So the managed Or if there was a trade to muck out of his barn in exchange right. for hay or something, yeah. you know. Exactly. I want to say something there. I don't want it to be the last thing. I <laughs> there you go. Because <clears throat> um, I, yeah, I, I think I've said this a few times, maybe every time. I, I constantly think, okay, so what about where's the money coming from? So um, I'm just wondering how with this is with how to add to this picture you've got manpower from volunteers that's the one thing i see um and then you see this bit here management of other like other farmers cutting the stuff i i genuinely think for this land to be ultimately fruitful if that's the right word we do need to look at how we can um support it differently than it has been. It can't be a sort of a faucet. It has to be uh, a community which doesn't just mean us, eight people or whatever we are, and, and whoever we happen to know. It might need to be, who knows, who, whether it's the, <clears throat> the farmer next door or a whole bunch of people who don't just maybe decide to buy stuff from us, but actually want to sort of be part of the process of developing and essentially crowdfunding the thing. Otherwise, I think it... Because I think the whole thing, everything you see here, I think, pretty much was a combination of either someone just donating a whole bunch of money or maybe because of that or connected to that, um, a whole bunch of people sort of like living here 
in a sort of a very different way than is now the case. And we need to find a way for that to be transformed to something that's relevant for the people and the community that is connected to this land today. Is it safe to say without opening a can of worms, the, the economic portion of all of this? I know that there's kind of a few different ideas being floated. Um, the retreat center bringing in income, a restructuring of the possible restructuring of housing and um, contribution for people that are living here, the possibility of uh, having Beaver Run occupy some spaces. Are these all kind of possibilities that would feed into the economic sustainability of all of this? Yeah, I think that's, that's clear. I, I just would add in the context of a land summit, I believe, and you know, I could be wrong, that somehow the product of the land needs to be that the community kind of gives to that, not just of, I mean, I'm not saying that if you rent out the, uh, a room uh, and have a conference in here that you can't use that money to, I don't know, buy some seeds or whatever, but it would be, I think, I think it's going to end up being necessary that, that the people who give to this uh, giving to, to the actual what you've got on the paper here. There's got to be a connection. It can't just be, oh, oh there's, a, there's a, a foundation over there and there's a, and there's a retreat centre over there that, you know, kind of are connected. I think there might need to be a, a closer connection of people and the land to, to make it really add up. That, that's all I'm saying. Um, I, I don't know whether that's even understandable. <laughs> is it is it okay to put like this this might be really out there but like the sun as an asset I know that in one mm -hmm. of our meetings uh, we talked about how uh, I mean the sun all the sun when we get here it's going to be the, kind of like the fuel for a lot of these things to grow but uh, you know like we did talk that at one point solar was mm -hmm. on the table and that might be a whole can of worms so uh, you know, we don't have to get into it, but I, I, just early on I was thinking like we should have like the word sun as an asset like on there somewhere. That could be a way, who knows, we could look at, maybe everybody's already talked about it, but how solar could benefit the community as well and maybe if we had enough to give back or sell back, I don't know. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or even um, the sun, I think it, it's goes off of what Kathleen was saying and that we can all of this all of this we can put onto paper but the underlying uh, theme should be you know thankfulness that we have all of these things For sure. so and the sun being a huge I mean the, the moving the, the moving force and all of this For sure. and I think the, the, the sustainability review or whatever which is sort of kind of supposed to be happening somehow in connection to this underlines what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Like that's also a bit like what I was saying. It's like, you know, you, you've got to sometimes sacrifice or you've got to sometimes do something as well as just wait for something else to sort of support the thing that you believe in kind of thing. And that could be, you know, changing your practices. It was really helpful when you said this is um, a visioning, dreaming 
thing and with this little phrase, a little goes a long way, we kept it reasonably close. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't just, you know, go off into the really big things and and I, I have the feeling we have a year's plan sitting in front of us and um, to figure out how to put it in action, who puts it in action. I think, Adrian, the way you described this cycle of support and focus for this thing, I mean, the, the community embeddedness, but broader than just who we all are. I mean, this all wants to be developed and to, that will want some thought. I actually also thought this manpower or volunteers, there are now saltanes salt mm -hmm. happening out there in the big wide world. You know, I mean, it's, this is an exciting starting point to actually create tangible work. I have the feeling. That was a positive topic. Any anything, even if it's not positive. <laughs> anything else. We can also turn the light on. <laughs> no. I'm being very sustainable now. You mean have light? Candle workshop. Mason's some point in time. <laughs> well, I think I, we're, it's probably, we need to, yeah. I find um, a lot of pleasure in organizing these things, and so um, my sat my weekend plan is to like get a nice cup of coffee and put this into some sort of a document that I'll share with everybody. And um, Hopefully we can all agree upon a, a document by the 17th of January. And I, I'd really like everybody to uh, critique it and comment on it as they see fit and add to any of it. Yay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. We're going. Okay, it's going. Okay. So for the, the sake of the podcast, I just want to reiterate that uh, this is the part three of our Land Summit series um, with the aim of uh, solidifying the work that we've been doing here for the past um, couple of meetings um, and to bring forth a working document to be presented to people working on the strategic plan but also to anybody within the community that's interested in what we all were saying uh, with, in regards to the future of the land. So this, my hope is that it'll be set up as a, a Google Doc that people could edit as they see fit and have time to think about and um, everybody would have a choice, uh, everybody would have an opportunity to um, edit it and agree on what we want to bring forth. So, um, but I did want to open it up, to Mason gave me um, 
some ideas and uh, proposals that he was working on. And I don't, did you send Do you it? want to start with that? Or? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to start with that. All right. The, um, we've delayed a couple of times uh, the strategic planning with the core group, and I had uh, prepared the elevator speech for that, and uh, I think it would fit here too. Um, if you'd like to take a copy, you may. Natmeal Nursery grew out of Sultane's 2012 strategic plan, and though many things have changed since then, many things remain true. Then we identified four goals, grow in smart and sustainable ways, expand impact beyond Sultane's campus, upgrade physical plant to meet current needs, and fourthly, increase and diversify income streams. In light of these goals, the idea of a nursery that not only offers products and services, but also creates inclusive leadership roles, ideally employment and volunteer opportunities, started to take shape. My vision is that Knapmill Nursery will pioneer a new social enterprise model, useful for creating meaningful horticultural career pathways for people with developmental differences in urban integrated settings. In the spirit of our land summit conversations around immediate land-based activities, I see no problem in integrating Kathleen and Alyssa's program ideas and sharing Christina's house to achieve that. Due to delays in the strategic planning conversations, I haven't been able to share these ideas with the core group and association. My hope is that the entire community will recognize the value of continuing to develop Knapmill Nursery as a social enterprise so that it may continue to offer these capacities in the near and long term. Come what may. A container program that can put healthy pop-up container gardens here on campus in Phoenixville and I just heard of a small grant possibility from DSM that could possibly sponsor a little garden over at Beaver Run. The photos on the back show some of the patio gardens that we've done in the past and some of the skill activities that uh, the Nat Mill Nursery is set up for. Can also offer education in various forms that support healthy cooking, eating, and much more. Community composting that provides a valuable environmental recycling service. Nursery skills shared with day or residential participants that are accessible and year-round, leading to mastery and confidence in a less physical demanding environment than field work. And when you add flower arranging, hanging basket setups, and various plant crafting activities, then these skills are easily transferred to any location such as 101 Bridge Street as a community garden shop for individuals or social enterprises. Such a social enterprise may well become one of Sultane's signature contributions to the Camp Hill movement, serving both our on-campus, local, and in-town community, while advancing our strategic goals of creating a more inclusive, caring, and proactive community. So I wanted to offer those thoughts and images for your meditation and consideration. Would anybody like hot water for tea? No thanks.
with that being said, with what Mason just shared with us, um, I'm wondering how we can start to plug this into, uh, given the past two meetings that we had, I tried to boil it down into something um, that we can all visually look at and see um, some highlights. And as I was going through it, I, I kind of identified some topics that were seem to be uh, brought up frequently. Um, one being small scale growing um, in terms of either food or dyes um, and some subcategories, you know, something that stood out to me, Rick, was when you were like, you know, it doesn't have to be this massive industrial scale, um, uh, you know, project that we have going on. So kind of a little goes a long way if we just start taking small steps here and there. Um, there's talk of uh, more outreach, growing food for somewhere like PAX. Um, how could we start to supply the cafe slash soul kitchens that um, support Kathleen and her Bifrost Botanicals endeavor and twine dyes? These are all kind of very achievable uh, things that we could be doing as soon as tomorrow. We could start planning, you know, thinking, looking at seed catalogs for these things. Identifying of current assets, um, a, a big obvious one being the greenhouse, and this can tie directly into Mason's, uh, you know, outline that he just shared with us now, the composter, um, all of the land here. Is it 52 acres? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the barn I see as an asset, uh, the orchard, uh, the house gardens. We talked about how the house gardens will be managed, um, possible manpower coming from volunteers or a subcommittee of either the housing or the estate committee. Um, and then connection to the, the broader community through a retreat center, through community composting, through our enterprises that are already present within Phoenixville. But I kind of see all of these things as um, they all relate to each other. So PAX relates to our greenhouse. We could be growing food there. It could relate to the enterprise because the greenhouse is an enterprise. So all of these things, to me, were hard to kind of sort out under these categories because they were all uh, one and the same, which I think is, is a good thing. I think that um, they're all supporting. We have a, a supportive network here, and how do we want to fill in that network? Um, and so I think that, you know, by Mason, you sharing this, this is how we start to fill in this network of support and start to move forward with, with our goals. Um, so given that framework of how we can start to fill in this, this network of support, does anybody have anything else they'd like that they were thinking about or um, anything they'd like to share to kind of uh, solidify what it is that they're thinking? I'm quite intrigued by the a little goes a long way and this outside Roland Johnson building there are two raised beds that um, were put in years ago by Anson and and, um, and Adela and I thought maybe we can just just identify a few such places around the community and just it's not too hard to grow two raised beds. It's right. maybe hard to 
take care of the amount that you have to take care of, Kathleen. So just a little, a long way, and what can we do now? That's one thing that mm -hmm. one could do. And my, my intention, and a little goes a long way, was thinking uh, even a little, a little spinach goes a little spinach <laughs> to supply Barbie with. Um, I, I resonate with a little goes a long way mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in a lot of different contexts. A little, you know, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, weeding the gardens goes, goes a long way. And that's something that we can work towards as well. I recommend checking out the 52-page biodynamic standard that uh, Demeter has available online that helps inform that. Is it something that um, anybody has a strong feeling? Should we be, should we start to be adhering to biodynamic practices more? Is it, are we looking for something more diversified than that? A little bit of this, a little permaculture, a little biodynamics, or as a community, are we feeling like, hey, we really want to get back to our biodynamic roots? Will we ever buy a dynamic here? For a little while. Yeah, this uh, dinner certified. Where did we get this stuff from? Like, do you have cameras? Yeah. You get inspected and all of that through the... That's what, yeah, it's, it's a conversation too, you know, too far for here. But I think you're right. What I've learned, know what's right, do what's possible. Um, yeah, I think the, the biodynamic ideal is this farm organism which is an ideal you strive towards. Um, but to obtain Demeter certification is a tall mountain to climb and given all that we have on our plate. But wouldn't we need to have cows? Uh, maybe I'm That's why I say read the, you know, there's, there's exceptions for orchards or, you know, other things. Or if you partner with another farm, the ideal is you would grow all the feed for your animals or source it from local biodynamic farms, for example. Um, it goes on and on. So it's complicated. Yeah. So is it safe to say that something we are not striving towards is being a certified biodynamic farm? Right now. Certification that's way over there, but you know, I don't know how many people know some, even what, what makes biodynamic be biodynamic to, to mm -hmm. the question is more, do we want to recreate with the knowledge content of that? Mm -hmm. um, you really need a person that knows what they're doing <laughs> yeah. with that, I think. Well, uh, not only you, I mean, I mean, probably Mason could be that person, but yeah. I think it's a question of do, is this like, you know, be like, I mean, it's not like exactly the same as asking a, um, like Beaver Run, do they want to be biodynamic when actually they're like a school? Yeah. Are, are we a farm? Because if we're a farm, then I think we should be biodynamic. But if we're not a farm, then that's not a real question, almost. That, that's the way I see it. 
But if we're hosting events here, would it be okay if we had a permaculture permaculture event, or would it have to be a biodynamic? No. Oh no. no. So we could. They're not right, mutually exclusive. But well, we could think of ourselves as a as a what as a us. Something. Yeah. Uh, Soltang agriculture. Uh, some sort of source of these varying knowledges experiment on knowledge I'm just thinking uh, as an umbrella term even in ter even thinking of like cleaning products and you know what we put in the wastewater and all of these things I think it's important to say that we are uh, not an organic we're a healthy like, earth place <laughs> uh, earth mi like minded or like perhaps we could come up with a sort of like a motto, like, hey, we really adhere to, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't really have a word on top of my head. If it's not biodynamic, what is it? Just a conscious, we're, we're a part of, I don't know, maybe that's something to think about. Mm -hmm. Because that would then frame, uh, if we, if, say, for, we could pick any points on here, but say, for example, we have somebody, uh, coming here for a retreat and we want to say, hey, leave your harsh cleaning products at home if you're thinking of bringing them <laughs> because we are, a, um, we are this community. Of I mean, I'll just interject one thing. Uh, if you're looking at the grounds as a holistic opportunity for sort of like biodiversity and development in that way, I mean, you could consider yourself a permaculture demonstration site thing is designed with the permaculture ethic in mind, but also be applying the biodynamic principles to that by even just starting with using the calendar. You know, not not burying cow horns and making all the preparations necessarily, but break into it by just simply using the calendar to sort of dictate your workflow, you know, at the very base, you know, at that very first step, so to speak, you know. Because from my perspective, just like limited knowledge of biodynamics, limited knowledge of permaculture, but just like from like a food operation standpoint, like labels are great and like philosophies are great, but what's most important to me and my perspective, like knowing who's doing the growing, knowing how they're doing it, and like if we can come up with some way to like fertilize that to like an outsider, that's great, but as long as we can all agree like within ourselves what we're doing, and if most of the food is going directly to people, we're like, we have a direct connection with, and it's not like we're trying to sell it to in Whole Foods, and we're trying to get ourselves mm -hmm. labeled in one way or another. Yeah. I agree. I guess I'm just thinking in terms of, for the Soul Kitchen endeavor, it would be nice if you said, hey, by the way, this food was grown in yeah. this, side of, this type of a setting, in this, you know, chemical-free setting or yeah. something. Not that we need to adhere to I think, strict. you know, it's just, yeah, I think the question is, do we go, I mean, certification is, is, is not necessary, I think. The question is whether it's okay to use words like local and organic, even though maybe there's a bit of non-something in there, because something slips through and you're not, I mean, I think that, that what you just said is really what it boils down to, is that, like, it's a conversation topic. So if someone says, oh, it's just like organic, say, well, actually, if you want to learn more about how we work with, like the earth you know we have a group that meets every other week or something and you can learn all about it rather than try and just kind of 
label it, even though labels can be useful to sort of explain people. Yeah. You know. But I like the idea of using a calendar because it's really sensitive. Like first step to sort of like pay homage to that practice where, but it's like much less investment. Yeah. A little goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit into <laughs> Isn't there tea in the Well, there's tea in the box. I got tea. That's where you got tea? But not from entwine, but it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't know any rules around that. I just think that we're just doing it because I don't think anybody's going to pick on us about it. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, but we can all agree <laughs> on that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think we can all agree that we do want to yeah. see in-house grown things being utilized mm -hmm. externally. So the logistics of it can be sorted out, but maybe to start the, the dreaming phase of saying, hey, we really want to have, we really want to be growing food here, and then how can we make that happen? Mm -hmm. But if we can, if, that's a, if that is a, a, a want, um, I think that's the, that's, this is the appropriate setting to voice that want. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, how do we actually get that done comes mm -hmm. later. Yeah, and I guess if we're thinking in like a timeline format, like let's start with the things that we know are like the least amount of planning or like logistical figuring out and then like aspire to those things that like would take a little bit more, but like how amazing would it be if the featured tea at Sultane Cafe was yeah. Beef. 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 I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, since the cafe is a licensed kitchen, um, I don't know, is there a difference with the spinach going like to packs versus the spinach going to a licensed kitchen where it's then made into something? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like the apples that you grow here on the land that, that you took to Bauman's, mm -hmm. a licensed place. So the raw ingredient was 
transformed into something. Isn't mm -hmm. it the same thing with the spinach? It is, and then the spinach would be fine, but the tea or like a, like a value-added product that is processed, I think is different. And that's sort of what I'm wondering with like a generalizing, it's like how could we, you know, because that's kind of great, like a tea would be amazing because it's shelf-stable, like it lasts for a certain amount of time, the herbs like are like a lower impact, potentially perennial crop that's like, you know, doesn't take as much work. But I'm just thinking ahead to like, okay, how do we logistically make that happen? But someone tell me if I'm wrong. Is it different if it's like... Well, is it because the tea's not being processed and the certified? Yeah. Is that why? Yeah. Gotcha. But maybe you could come to the cafe and do it. Now that I think about it. That's <laughs> like in the commercial kitchen. So there you go. Now we just solve the problem. <laughs> so these um, kind of like, how does this, how will this work? I would imagine that... Um, the appropriate parties, like if you're like, hey, how can we get your eggs in our cafe? It would be like you and I could sit down and really start to figure out what do I need to do to make sure my eggs get to Barbie. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I mean, that's something I, one of my hopes and dreams is to beef up the egg production and supply mm -hmm. all of the eggs. So, um, to, you know, as if this is like a, a planning stage, I would like to put that on the list, and then maybe you and I can meet later and work out how how I what I need to do to have the egg come to you. Mm -hmm. And likewise, like you know, if the if the re retreat center is needing flowers, how would the people growing the flowers be There's whatever happens, um, the the plant the dreaming happens here, and the logistical side will then follow. Um, right, I guess. So you just picked up on, on, on flowers. I'm just sitting here thinking, I really want somehow, not just in one designated space, but to have your plants, your dying plants, enhance everywhere something, you know, so that maybe many buildings are connected to what goes on in the textile and to ask the landfill nursery or land people or whoever that we have a seeding project where we see flowers for when it's time to put them out there. And I keep thinking a lot about the Iduna when you come from the parking lot toward Iduna and it, it's, it really could be much more exciting and interesting than it currently is, let's put it that way, and uh, to, to just really revive some of these landscaped areas in a way that is more fun. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what Less, it takes. Huh? Maybe less grass to cut as well, that can be like repurposed into flower gardens and patches. And well, a little goes a long way, so <laughs> we have those things we already don't manage. So. Not gonna add anything just right. now. Well, and I was thinking about the the cutting the grass thing and um, the goats. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the goats. Put them on the assets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More goats. Yeah. And that's a thing that's happened since the last land summit meeting. Pete and Pippin are here. Yeah, they're here and they're so wonderful. They're so sweet. I actually lost sleep about it the night before stressing, and then 
it's not funny what I was stressing about. They're just so docile and they're like the most perfect goats. Are they male or female? Gelded. Maybe that's why they're docile. Yeah. Um, and I in Let that be less <laughs> <laughs> I think Pete and Pippin um, tie into the retreat center. Mm-hmm. In that, if people were to come here, I, you know, down the line, can envision they walk through these beautiful dye, like the dyes. Um, you'll see them growing. You'll see the goats in the corner. You'll see the chickens running around. Mm-hmm. So the orchard, all of these things, um, I kind of see tying together. Especially the retreat center in the in the context of people coming to campus. What is their initial experience what are, what did what can they see little bits going on oh this is used for the dyeing this mm-hmm. is used for growing food this is used it's going to be a little like a, a buffet of a little snapshot of what's going on elsewhere mm-hmm. thinking about animals that are not farm animals what you were talking about Sabina made me think I would really love to see like a dedicated pollinator garden, and like a garden that, like, I mean, many of the things, like right. the apple trees, but <coughs> anything that's planted with flowers will likely, like, bring, bring people in, bring pollinators in, and hopefully people in. Bee mm-hmm. sanctuary. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, the native plants, yeah. like, yeah. native milkweed varieties oh, for the monarchs to lay their eggs on, like, things that are, like, specifically, because there's, like, an educational component to that, too. We're talking about this little like smattering of things. Yeah, a smattering. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Got it. Um, and and the and we do have a, a pollinator garden. That's awesome. Um, which, Where is it? well, it's it's buried in Houston right now, but that's something that I think is a beautiful asset. It's for cut flowers pollinator garden. Right. It's like runs the length of the orchard. Um, that also needs attention, and that could also maybe link into the house garden manpower mm-hmm. section. Mm-hmm. Something quite different. I don't know where. I don't know whether that's even feasible. But I've often thought about this statue outside Iduna, this white mm-hmm. statue. If that could be somehow constructed that it actually has a water feature to it? Yeah, I included that picture on this because it was once a sensor, a wheelchair accessible sensory garden with a water feature based well, it on just there. had a basin with water that... Well, it had this built-in thing around it that you could... Yeah. That was a cantilevered planting I, bed. It's since fallen down, but yeah. well, was that was the idea. I was more thinking of, you know, there are airports where you have the water walls that yeah. you walk by, just something that can just go up and down, I mean, not a flow form itself, but something that just creates the sound of flowing water. But, and it then would make sense why that thing is there. Is again. it hollow? Hmm? Is it hollow? It was set up to be a There. What is now is just the water basin at the bottom, but but it used to be that it had little beds around it, chair, yeah. wheelchair accessible, that had flowers in or whatever people planted in there. 
I've never seen a moving water feature. Was it? Tom showed me there's a whole pump system underneath. <coughs> there's a crawl space from the, uh, the laundry in the Duna basement. Mm -hmm. There's there's a whole accessible plumbing thing that went there. So I don't it, you know I don't know how retrievable yeah. that is, but somebody put a lot of work into building that. So I'm gonna volunteer Nick to do that. <laughs> That's what he does at work all the time. Uh, who do you? Does anybody know who the artist or when it was? I wonder if we could have a revival of it in some or in like sure. honor the artist who or the architect or the. Someone has to talk to Cornelius basically. Mm. Mm. That could be a cool. Or Clemens might know. Actually, Clemens. Wasn't it Bingham? Was he into that back then? Ben? No. And, uh, no, no, no. Let's not go there. There was once a thought to create a mosaic where now just the white walls are. Um, not colors, but more the sandstone, the natural stone things with swirly patterns and stuff there. A little bit like what you have in Antwerp, yeah. actually. Just we know if we can do that. For reviving the thing, anyway. But I think this whole conversation, the smattering of things, is very much in our times. And this morning I got this email from uh, Morris Arboretum's 30th Annual Landscape Design Symposium. And they call it Ecology-Based Landscape Design, What Comes Next? Our 30th anniversary program will illustrate how an expanded definition of ecological design, including contributions from garden history, agroecology, anthropology, social justice, art, and of course the ecological sciences can yield environmentally sound and culturally connected landscapes. And that just came in my inbox this morning and it's, it sounds exactly like the whole mosaic of pieces on campus that we're talking about. Let's lift this up, let's lift this up and see what unites it, you know? And when we're talking about terms at first, it's dangerous to have kind of terms like environmentally friendly or, or something which is kind of like, it immediately erases itself the moment it says itself. But it's something like an ecologically based landscape design and we're not the only ones that are looking for what, what's the right way to express that. It's so inclusive in so many different capacities. It's not just a lawn that needs to be mown. Mm -hmm. Or a pollinator garden that needs weeding or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the whole mosaic, the whole smattering. Mm -hmm. The smattering. In the the verbiage I was trying I was grappling with, um, kind of in the connection realm of things, because I see this campus as I know Adrian, you've said before people have this like strange concept of what Sultane is. Like is it a is this piece of land in Glenmore or is it the cafe and it's interesting to, if, for example, if they were drinking saltine tea and the conversation came up, oh, this is actually grown on our campus. It's this kind of like imaginary campus land and like what actually happens here. <laughs> um, it's a smattering of things. And how, and how do we translate that to people? How do we say, hey, not only do we grow tea here, but there's actually goats and the purpose of the goats is to make fiber and the, the fiber actually is sewn up, sold up the street. So I, I guess I, I was kind of getting caught on the verbiage only because I see so much potential in the, in this campus being such a great connection point that 
bridges all of the satellite things going on. This kind of is the, mm. the mothership. <laughs> so um, that's why I was thinking about verbiage. I love that um, fountain thing. That's like, I had never, ever heard of that story before. So it kind of makes me think of that Moana movie, where like they sort of have to take the heart back and sort of put it back in place, and then it just kind of becomes beautiful again. Kind of thing. So that's sort of almost like if that thing starts to kind of flow again, then it's like the whole Soltane sort of thing starts to kind of be back to where it kind of was. But it's just a fantasy. I like this idea of like assets and like looking at all this in this conversation. Um, and really, like, I feel like there's, like, just the story behind that fountain is revitalizing and, like, something's pouring out of there, as you were saying, and it's like, there's a lot, it seems, that, like, we're sitting on that could be lifted in that regard, like, and maybe, uh, this could be, like, a trickling effect, like, the fountain, but also, like, you know, the architect who built these buildings, like, what if there was, like, some way to, like, pay homage or, <laughs> you know, that person? And I think Thalia did that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? There was a whole dinner honoring Nancy Mueller, who was the, the architect and builder of all these buildings, right. just uh, two months ago. Right, right. Right. We should get our fingers on that video. Something like that, even, yeah, it could be a spark, yeah. And did they talk about the mosaics here, and the mosaics for his daughter's art installation gifts to oh, yeah. the buildings and the community? Hmm. Things of that sort. Uh, I just keep learning more that is inspiring. Yeah, reconnecting the history might present a clearer path moving forward. Yeah. I think that's an asset, like the history itself is an asset. Mm -hmm. And the interest in the history is an asset. Yeah. Maybe while I think of it, the tunnel, as you walk through, mm. for some reason bringing up the mosaics made me think wall paintings Spaces, brought me yeah. to the tunnel, um, mm -hmm. where I think the rainbow colors are kind of, I don't know what the green stuff is, but it could do with a little oh. revival. <laughs> well, Patrick, when you said that, I'm looking at that mosaic out there, and <laughs> I had put up a, a, a bulletin board trying to describe the pollinator garden, why it was there, and the renewal of the orchard, and it makes me think, uh, just <laughs> like there was once that kind of parkour thing where there were these stations throughout the campus and walking, and while I'm on that, I just want to throw out... It'd be fun to have a frisbee golf or even uh, something like that, that it creates an interactive, playful landscape. But when you mentioned the tunnel, I mean, that could be a mural that tells the story. Mm -hmm. There's something how story, stories in the landscape, to actually put them there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to have that little Aduna myth in Aduna about the fruit orchard. Mm -hmm. And I think it really nourishes the soul and honors all these activities like the fountain or the mosaics or the buildings. I, I, I think it's worth 
signage in the sense that you always have someone new who comes and says, oh, what's that? What's you know, that? and it sparks, it creates kindling for conversation. So you're suggesting physical plaques of sorts? Well, I found it a powerful thing, you know. Monuments, <coughs> monuments but, all over, park services, everything, people who travel and they... Spend, that's true, yeah, historic so signs that have been Again, I don't want to expend a bit of expense, but Patrick's touching on there's so much artistic history in the landscape that we're not utilizing, and that seems to be the purpose of the summit. How we do it might be more in, a, in the bi-weekly estate meetings or whatever, where we figure out yeah. what do we do first, how do we create mm -hmm. a plan, what, what does it take? I mean, personally, when I... Start, first started working here on campus, the Memorial Garden kind of always in, intrigued me for some reason. And even taking one step into it, I realized that the passing of Crystal was only a, a week after when I first started looking at the, the garden. And so knowing more about that space, I the more we know, the, the better we can care for the land. So I like the idea of uh, dispersing history and stories and why this fountain is there and why these mosaics are here because so many people are new and don't know these things and may overlook them or take them for granted and uh, we can care for this space better if we know it more intimately. So I really like those ideas. I think that's a cool idea. So St. Martin's there, I think it was Beaver Run, that on St. Martin's you do your lantern walk with the kids. In some community somewhere, there was, from house to house, the story of St. Martin's was told through a transparency that people had made in one of their building windows, so pretty big. Mm -hmm. So you walked from place to place and had a visual um, of a story that hung together. and just sitting here wondering, over time, if we commissioned artists to paint the story of Iduna, I mean, the reading is a bit laborious, um, of, of that thing, or Parador, or to just create one image per building that tells a story um, and have it somewhere visible, or, you know, I don't know. Or create a wood sculpture of a being, you know. That's a cool idea. I mean, a lot of times I think churches have stained glass telling stories, different scenes, mm -hmm. even, you know. Stained glass might be a way to. And you can take little steps one after the sure. other, you know. To we just watched a video on ancient India, and they were saying, you know, some of these, like, you know, go-to places were built, you know, hundreds of years at a time, so, mm -hmm. yeah, little goes along there. Mm -hmm. Sounds like plenty. <laughs> 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 
I mean, I, I will say that at, at the beginning of this, my impulse for having something like this arose from co-chairing the estate committee and feeling a little bit daunted by the, the scope of what's going on here and the dreams and the ideas and the history. Um, and I, I feel grateful that everybody in this room, I, I feel that I am able to do a better job in what I believe the role of the chair of the estate committee is. is. Um, so thank you, because I, I feel that uh, there's just an, an immense amount of uh, love and dedication and dreams, and I feel really happy that and now I have a better understanding of where everybody's coming from um, and their experiences here. So, um, and I, I do really look forward to seeing all of these things happen. And I think all of these things are very achievable. And I feel grateful that we kind of established from the get-go, like, you know, hey, what do we have and what can we do with it now, rather than um, <coughs> the daunting ta task of creating something, reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel very encouraged by all. I mean, I'm looking at this right now, and there's not really anything on here that I am like, oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Everything seems attainable to me, and that's really encouraging. Especially, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but the whole Pete and Pippin thing, the, how quickly that happened and how seamlessly, and um, I feel like it, it reinvoked my love of the barn. I've been spending a lot more time in the barn and uh, envisioning what that space could be and how this, being, you know, having these two new goats here, how it has enriched my idea of how I can connect with Entwine and how my Parsable group connects with Entwine. So that's been really cool and unexpected. And I'd imagine that these little threads will just continue to happen. I just have one more comment to make. Please. Um, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the word intention. Um, and even connected with the smattering, a little goes a long way, that just having an intention for each of the little things that we do. And it, when, I, when I get a, a, a new herb garden crew, um, all, all the crews I've worked with, um, I teach them about how this land um, used to belong to the Lenape. Um, and so I, I teach them the word for thank you in, in Lenny Lenape, which is Wanishi. So every time we mm. grow something, we harvest <coughs> something, we say Wanishi to the plant, Wanishi to the, to the land. Um, so I just wanted to offer that. Just mm. Opportunity to say, to say Wanishi to everything we have here. It's, mm. it's, yeah. it's a lot of work. I'm gonna say something, but I don't want it to be the last thing that's said.
week if we could yeah oh, partner with a farm close by that could come and mow it at regular intervals that then would be food for the goats over the winter rather than mm. having it be mowed. So maybe our, our the asset of the 52 acres could be managed cooperatively with other farmers that could use the space or other uh, animals that could use this grass? Or, or that we could use it for yeah. our purposes as well. Yeah. We could rerun it to Russ. If our neighbor Russ who grows hay and straw, you know, managed it. Mm -hmm. Since he's right there. Mm -hmm. So the management. Or if there was a trade to muck out of his barn in exchange right. for hay or something, yeah, you know, like this. Exactly. <coughs> well, I want to say something there. I don't want it to be the last thing. I <laughs> there you go. Because, <clears throat> um, I, yeah, I, I think I've said this a few times, maybe every time. I, I constantly think, okay, so what about where's the money coming from? So um, I'm just wondering how with this is with how to add to this picture you've got manpower from volunteers that's the one thing I see um, and then you see this bit here management of other like other farmers cutting the stuff I, I genuinely think for this land to be ultimately fruitful if that's the right word we do need to look at how we can um, support it differently than it has been. It can't be a sort of a faucet. It has to be a community which doesn't just mean us, eight people, or whatever we are, and, and whoever we happen to know. It might need to be who knows who, whether it's the, <clears throat> the farmer next door or a whole bunch of people who don't just maybe decide to buy stuff from us but actually want to sort of be part of the process of developing and essentially crowdfunding the thing. Otherwise, I think it... Because I think the whole thing, everything you see here, I think, pretty much was a combination of either someone just donating a whole bunch of money or maybe because of that or connected to that, um, a whole bunch of people sort of like living here in a sort of a very different way than is now the case. And we need to find a way for that to be transformed to something that's relevant for the people and the community that is connected to this land today. Is it safe to say without opening a can of worms, the, the economic portion of all of this? I know that there's kind of a few different ideas being floated. Um, the retreat center bringing in income, a restructuring of the possible restructuring of housing and um, contribution for people that are living here, the possibility of uh, having Beaver Run occupy some spaces. Are these all kind of possibilities that would feed into the economic sustainability of all of this? Yeah, I think that's, that's clear. I, I just would add in the context of the land summit, I believe, and you know, I could be wrong that somehow the product of the land needs to be that the community in kind of gives to that. Not just, oh, 
I mean, I'm not saying that if you rent out the uh, a room uh, and have a conference in here that you can't use that money to, I don't know, buy some seeds or whatever. But it would be, I think, I think it's going to end up being necessary that that the people who give to this uh, giving to to the actual what you've got on the paper here. There's got to be a connection. It can't just be all. Oh, Oh, there's a there's a, a foundation over there, and there's a and there's a retreat center over there that you know kind of are connected. I think there might need to be a, a closer connection of people and the land to to make it really add up. That that's what I'm saying. Um, I, I don't know whether that's even understandable. <laughs> is it is it okay to put like this, this might be really out there, but like the sun as an asset. I know that in one of our meetings, uh, we talked about how, uh, I mean, the sun, all the sun when we get here, like, it's going to be the, kind of like the fuel for a lot of these things to grow. But, uh, you know, like we did talk that at one point solar was mm -hmm. on the table, and that might be a whole can of worms. So, uh, you know, we don't have to get into it. But I, I, just early on, I was thinking, like, we should have like the word sun as an asset like on there somewhere. Yeah. That could be a way, who knows, we could look at, maybe everybody's already <coughs> talked about it, but how solar could benefit the community as well. And maybe if we had enough to give back or sell back, I don't know. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or even um, the sun, I think it it's, goes off of what Kathleen was saying and that we can, all of this, all of this we can put onto paper, but the underlying uh, theme should be, you know, thankfulness that we have all of these things. Sure. So, and the sun being a huge, I mean, the, the moving, the, the moving force in all of this. For sure. And I think the, the, the sustainability review or whatever, which is sort of kind of supposed to be happening somehow in connection to all this, underlines what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Like, that's also a bit like what I was saying. It's like, you know, you, you've got to sometimes sacrifice or you've got to sometimes do something as well as just wait for something else to sort of support the thing that you believe in kind of thing. And that could be, you know, changing your practices. It was really helpful when you said this is uh, a visioning, dreaming thing and with this little phrase, a little goes a long way, we kept it reasonably close. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't just, you know, go off into the really big things and and I, I have the feeling we have a year's plan sitting in front of us and um, to figure out how to put it in action, who puts it in action. I think, Adrian, the way you described this cycle of support and focus for this thing, I mean, the, the community embeddedness, but broader than just who we all are. I mean, this all wants to be developed and to, that will want some thought. I actually also thought this manpower or volunteers, there are now saltanes. Salt Mm -hmm. happening out there in the big wide world you know I mean it's this is an exciting starting point to actually create tangible work well, I have the feeling
That was a positive topic. Any anything, even if it's not positive. <laughs> anything else? We can also turn the light on. <laughs> no. Oh my God. very sustainable now. You mean have light? Yeah. Candle workshop. Mason's some point in time. <laughs> well, I think I, we're, it's probably, we need to, yeah. I find um, a lot of pleasure in organizing these things, and so um, my, sat my weekend plan is to like get a nice cup of coffee and put this into some sort of a document that I'll share with everybody. And, um, Hopefully we can all agree upon a, a document by the 17th of January. And I, I'd really like everybody to uh, critique it and comment on it as they see fit and add to any of it. Yay. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well done. We're going. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.